African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. A very good morning to you and welcome to yet another interactive uh, installment of African Dialogue. You're listening to Channel Africa from an African perspective. My name is Asanda Matsaunyane and we're currently on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. Also coming to you via DSTV Audio Bouquet Channel 802. Africa is faced with many challenges such as unemployment, poverty, disease, lack of education and corruption. These are a combination of problems caused by social and political inequality. Governments have reiterated their commitment to changing the status quo, but some may argue that transformation is happening at a snail's pace. In some countries, we've seen a wave of social and political activism, people rising and demanding that their voices be heard. In Zimbabwe, for instance, Pastor Evan Mawarire uh, remains on trial for allegedly trying to subvert President Robert Mugabe's government. He continues to, to challenge Mugabe on the country's economic crisis. And then here at home in South Africa, movements like the Save SA uh, have been or have taken the country by storm, protesting against state capture and corruption. And then, of course, the hashtag fees must fall, which was very popular. So to discuss this we uh, and other related matters, we joined in studio by David Kode, who leads uh, Civicus's Campaigns and Advocacy Division. Welcome, David. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Ayanda. Thanks for having me. A pleasure. On the line is uh, Mark Haywood, who is Executive Director at Section 27. We welcome you, Mark. Good morning, and thank you for having me as well. Thank you. Our pleasure. Christopher Rutledge also joins us on the line, who is the Natural Resources Manager for Action Aid South Africa. Welcome, Christopher. Thank you very much for having me. Our pleasure. So let me start with you, David, since you're right in front of me. Can we differentiate between social and political activism, or do they sort of flow into and with each other? Yeah, they kind of flow into each other because if you look at most social uh, political activists or social and political movements, uh, they have the same objectives, uh, which are to uh, enforce change, to raise awareness uh, about human rights violations, to raise awareness about actions of governments that are unconstitutional. Um, So while they may operate on different platforms, the objectives are the same, and sometimes it's difficult to create a distinction between, um, you know, what they do. Uh, But... You know, most governments these days, um, because the the objectives are similar, most governments, you know, accuse uh, social movements and and social activists of being members of the political opposition or Mm. of being agents, uh, foreign agents, uh, that want to advance the interests of Western powers. And if you look at political movements, uh, we all know that they seek to achieve political change uh, using different means uh, and different steps and methods. Uh, And social movements, while some of the 
objectives uh, can be to uh, elicit political change, but they also focus on issues that affect citizens on a day-to-day basis, like mm. social and political, uh, social and economic challenges, uh, and the rights of citizens to speak out and express themselves. Mm. Mark, can a, a movement that's a social stand or activism uh, become a political uh, stance? Well, I think all activism is political. You know, it has political objectives. Equality is a political objective. Uh, Fairness in budgets, uh, accountability is a political objective. But the difference between social activism of the type we're discussing and political parties is that, you know, our activism is independent. So in South Africa, for example, you know, what we say with movements like the Treatment Action Campaign and Save South Africa, which I'm a member of, is that, you know, our only accountability is to the South African Constitution, which promises social justice for the people. We will work with political parties from time to time, including the governing political party, if it is in the interests of progress and if it's in the interests of democracy. But we will always, always be independent of political parties. And I think, you know, in this age, this 21st century that we're all living in, that's important because people have lost their trust and faith in political parties. We're in an era where political parties, even opposition parties, make great and grand promises, but frequently when they come into power become as bad and as unequal and as corrupt as the political parties that they've replaced. So I think that the 21st century should be the century of independent people's power, people's activism that holds governments, the corporates, and political parties accountable to an agenda of social justice and equality. So, Christopher, is political activism sustainable, then, if uh, we've lost our faith in politics, so to speak? Yeah, I think that's a very good question. And I think that I would have a slightly nuanced um, response to that in that I would suggest that what we're seeing, not only in Africa, but across the world, is a disconnection between the idea of liberal democracy, what we have um, sold to our citizens as being democracy, the idea that 400 people can represent a nation of 50 million, there is a growing disconnect, not only because those 400-odd people have become an elite of, on their own, but because there's no connection. The citizens don't feel recognized. Mm. So what we have is a, a, a... We have a political elite which sits in parliament and in the structures of the state, and then we have the civil society elite, which um, is an elite on its own. It's a, it's a funded elite, and... It raises very important constitutional questions and very important social justice issues, but that too is disconnected. And we see that in the way that, for example, in South Africa, the ANC remains very popular and remains um, the, the, the choice of the majority of people when it comes to voting. So there's a disconnect between civil society and people even. So there's this large group of people who are disconnected from what is termed the you know, what is the establishment politics, which is the state on the one side and civil society on the other side. And then you have this growing disconnected uh, citizenry who are, when they engage in politics and engage in protest, 
they engage more in um, an increasingly in, in, in violent and spectacle-driven politics, which is disconnected from the kind of nice reporter that we have with, with the state through civil society. So I think that in our societies there's a growing disconnect between the establishment, the idea that we have a parliament and a civil society, and these two will engage nicely between each other, and the people who are increasingly living in poverty, increasingly disconnected from society, and who feel removed from all of this. I think that if we're talking about social and political activism, we are going to need to re-look really at how our whole society is structured. How is it that 400 people can represent 50 million? What are the mechanisms that are missing in between, and how do we rectify that? And, and, and in my opinion, it can't only be a civil society group, well-funded civil society groups, who are going to act as the representatives of the of the disenfranchised. Or, or, or there has to be a conversation about the political structures that are going to inform new decolonized types of government. And we haven't even got there yet. We've just blindly accepted Western liberal democracy as being the epitome, the, 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 highest, the highest peak of democracy. And yet, you know, across the world, People are rejecting that democracy. They're questioning it. They're saying, but you're not representing us. Even in the European Union now, you know, democracy has been, um, has been, uh, mm. has been marked. Let's, as, unpack, as, as uh, the, let's unpack the civil society elite. And let me come to you, David, in terms of what Christopher is adding there. Civil society elite, does that, you know, not pose a problem then on its own? The fact that, because I look at that and I see an oxymoron. How can, you know, you represent civil society and still be, you know, an elite? Because elite will imply that we're talking about a small special group or who's separate from the, from, uh, the masses. Can that civil society elite on its own, just by being there, if we're saying that this does exist, pose then a, a problem and challenge the relevance of whatever it is they stand for? Mm-hmm. So if you look at the changes that have happened um, across the African continent over the last uh, five to ten years, political changes, socioeconomic changes, uh, if you look at the Arab Spring, if you look at the changes that led to the fall in the dictatorial regime in Burkina Faso, if you look at the wave of protests in in countries like Cameroon, in in, in Zimbabwe as well, Mm. these protests are not really led by formal civil society groups. And uh, they are led by citizens, they are led by bloggers, they are led by uh, movements that have bypassed um, your formal civil society structure. So I think a civil society, you know, the assertion that there are elites within civil society um, has, you know, must give civil society, um, you know, uh, a warning to wake up and, 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 and look at the realities. You know, when you speak of mm. civil society elites, you're speaking about those who run programs that... Um, 
can be driven by specific donors who have specific intentions and objectives in particular countries. And that's the thing for the um, movement to be able to be sustainable, funding needs to, to be there. Yeah, but change has not really occurred. Like I said, mm. political changes in Burkina Faso during the Arab Spring, what's happening in Zimbabwe, what's happening in Cameroon, change has not really happened over the last five to ten years. Political change bec- based on the actions of these formal uh, civil society um, groups and the elitist nature of civil society. They have a role to play. But what we're saying is that um, civil society must wake up to the reality that citizens are taking charge, citizens mm. are taking the lead, and the challenge is to connect the dots, bring civil society together with the social movements and the um, the wave of protests that are happening in different countries. Right. Uh, 20 minutes past 11 Central African time is our time here on African Dialogue. Stay with us. We uh, continue our chat on the relevance of social and political activism in Africa. My name is Asanda Mazzaunyani. Right after this. The third annual Africa Women Innovation and Entrepreneurship Forum Conference takes place in Cape Town, South Africa. The two-day event from the 5th to the 6th of October promises to ignite fundamental changes in Africa's socio-economic landscape. Channel Africa will be there to bring you the happenings live. Join us as we and the Africa Women Innovation and Entrepreneurship Forum push forward the economic empowerment of women who have historically been sidelined and disregarded in predominantly patriarchal and tribal societies. Listen to Channel Africa on the 5th and the 6th of October. Channel Africa, the African Perspective. Welcome back to African Dialogue here on Channel Africa from an African perspective, talking about the relevance of social and political activism in Africa. We're speaking to David Corday, Christopher Rutledge and Mark Haywood. Uh, Mark, let's touch on, you know, what role these movements play, uh, social and political activism movements uh, play in modern Africa now. When we look at things like social media, when we, you know, also tying it in with what David is saying, that a lot of these movements are now being led by citizens and people are not necessarily looking for political or social leadership and civil society leadership to, to, to start a movement. What role do they play in modern Africa well, I think they play a role on several levels. One level is in a role in the struggle to advance social justice and social equality. And another level is a level around fighting for accountability and uh, 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 transparency. So, you know, again, I have to speak from my own experience that in South Africa, the Treatment Action Campaign, which I'm a member of, you know, fought for the rights of people living with HIV to have access to antiretroviral treatment. We use the courts, we use mobilization, we use demonstration, we use the media, and we were able to win that battle. And by using the powers that we have in society, and part of my argument, Sandra, is that, is that people have a lot of power. It's a question of identifying that power using that power, mobilizing it against the state and against the private sector. But if we mobilize that power, we can win victories. So in South Africa today, there are 4 million people who receive antiretroviral treatment through public hospitals and through clinics as a result of the struggle of a civil society movement. So it's, it's movements about people's power and about social transformation. 
And I, I just want to say w- one thing, you see, because we're in, within civil society, again, we, we're not bound by party political loyalties and so on. So, you know, we have debates. We're allowed to disagree with each other. You know, I, I don't think it's so much that citizens have rejected democracy per se. I think that what's happening is that all over the continent, whether it's from Zimbabwe to Cameroon to South Africa, is that democracy, parliaments, democratic institutions are being captured by elites, including sometimes by civil society elites. And what we have to do as the people, as citizens, as civil society organizations, is to recapture democracy and to use those powers, whether they are in international human rights frameworks, whether they're in national human rights frameworks, or whether it's just the power of the street to reassert people's interests as against the elite interests which are dominating in, in, in most of our, our countries. And that is the importance of civic and political activism uh, at this point in, in, in our world history. And how do we gauge what that people's interest is, especially, you know, given in the content or context of Africa where even within one country there's so many inequalities and the interests of people in, in that kind of a space are not going to be the same. Well, so why, why no, should ordinary citizens care about being socially active if they're already not getting the services they're supposed to be and there's such inequality? But it's those very services that are at the heart of this, uh, this struggle. What people have a common interest in, I think, wherever they live in Africa, is access to sufficient food, mm. is quality basic education, is quality healthcare services, is governments that meet people's needs and meets people's rights. Everywhere in Africa, people have an interest in ensuring that governments are taking environmental and climate change seriously and preparing those countries to limit climate change. You know, of course, there's, there's a great difference between South Africa and Nigeria or other parts of the continent. But as human beings with human rights, we have a common set of basic interests. And the, the challenge is that, and again, what we share in common is that all over the, the continent, those interests, whether it is in health, whether it is in basic education, are being taken away from us, are being privatized, and are more and more being made available only to an elite. And it is that process that we have to reverse, and which I believe only people's movements are going to be successful in reversing because political parties have been co-opted into this agenda and are cooperating with it. Christopher, you know, in terms of the voices of activists within the African continent, is the rest of the world taking these voices uh, seriously? And should, should it matter? Well... <sighs> Let me say that I don't, I don't think that the rest of the world takes Africa seriously, period, you know, even at an at a international level. Um, our governments are struggling to make headway in terms of the very basic issues of things like um, profit, uh, profit evasion and, and profit and those kind of things. We, even in terms of uh, the international structures for Africa to have a say, in the way that the world is governed, you know, we're not taken seriously. So, so I think that 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 question is um, is that one that is deeply set into the the way that we engage with politics and society in general. While I agree with a lot of what Mark is saying, I think that quite often when we have this discussion about civil society, we make the assumption, and I think it's an erroneous assumption, that 
the state and civil society must be separate, that they are separate spheres and that we should always then be working towards building, um, you know, civil society as a strong area of contention. Whereas I think one of the solutions possibly to the problem, and, 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 and I think why there's been this uproar across the world about the lack um, of democracy and, the, you know, the, the fact that democracy as it's set out today does not work for ordinary people is this distinction that we make between the state and civil society. So instead of us talking about how do we make the state and the people and civil society um, not necessarily be two different spheres, but people engaging in their own governance um, across the continent, across different spheres of government, how do we reach that goal? So instead of setting the state apart from the people, how do we, how do we make the state you know, the people part of the state, so that we don't have the situation, and it's a constant situation, that every time we have a new leader in any country, you know, he's going to solve the problem, you know, and then we put our faith in an individual and we say, no, this person will do it because his integrity is in place. Five years, ten years down the line, we realize, but they've fallen into the same trap. They've become uh, enamored with power, they've started to become greedy, they're starting to eat, and so we have the same problem just recurring every 5 to 10 years, in some cases 20 to 30 years, we have the same problem and we're putting our hopes in people instead of looking at the structure of the state and saying how do we democratize the state, how do we move away from 400 people controlling the state to having the multiplicity of people uh, engaged actively in the state. So I think if we ask the questions differently, we might come to different answers. Mark, I know we have to let you go. So uh, if I can just come and bring you in uh, again, in terms of, you know, how uh, the voices of activists from Africa are viewed uh, around the world. Should it matter? Should, should we even care what the world says about, you know, us standing for whatever we stand for, the people's interest on the African continent? Before I answer that, let me just say I do agree with David on this issue of the state. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm saying that civil society has to be independent. Uh, its loyalty has to be to people's interest. It has to be accountable to people at all of the time. But the state, we need strong states. We need states that represent people's interests. And where a state works for people's interests, we need civil society needs to get its hands dirty and go and help roll out an antiretroviral treatment program, go and help states tackle private interests which are profiteering from medicines or profiteering from food or which are contributing to environmental degradation. So certainly strong states, but states which work in the interests of people are critical. Now, the, the question that you ask, you know, about our role in the globe, Africa has to take a leading role in the globe. The problem, one of the problems is, and this again applies both to our civil society elite leaders and to our government, is that when they go and sit in these sessions of the United Nations and various other international treaty bodies, they are totally disconnected from ordinary people. They have been bought off, bought over by these lifestyles of international travel to Geneva, to New York, backwards and forth, and they've forgotten what they are there to represent. Mm. They have to represent people's interests. But we have to have a strong African voice on the international stage because we live in a globalized world, in a globalized 
economy and political economy. And so decisions which are taken internationally have an impact on us. They yeah. have an impact on our trade. They have an impact on our, on, on our climate. They have an impact on our politics. You know, as, as, uh, as, as, as uh, Christopher was saying, we have a problem in Africa of massive, massive uh, illicit financial flows out of Africa, massive tax evasion. You know, if we were able to solve an issue like that at an international level, then we wouldn't need the so-called Western aid, which often comes tied with all sorts of strings and so on and so on. Mm. So we have to have a greater presence, but it can't just be a governmental presence, and it can't be what we have at the moment where our government sits in one place and we as civil society sit in another place and we don't talk to each other and, and, and so on. So, again, back to what David and Christopher are saying, I'm, I, I agree we need some system change if civil society is going to become as effective as it needs to be in the international uh, arenas. Well, thank you so much for your time, Mark. Thank you very much for this discussion. I appreciate it. Thank you. Our pleasure. Mark Haywood is Executive Director at Section 27, joining us there on the line. We will continue with our chat. It's uh, 11.32 Central African time here on African Dialogue. I'm Asanda Matsaunyani, talking the relevance of social and political activism in Africa. Stay with us. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective. Guess what? You can now listen to Channel Africa using Silozi, Chinyanja, Kiswahili, Portuguese, French and English, giving you an African perspective. Hi, my name is Tandalunyan Zovo and you are listening to Channel Africa. We are Channel Africa from an African perspective. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Welcome back to African Dialogue here on Channel Africa from an African perspective. Remember, we come to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. And do interact with us. Find us on Twitter at Channel Africa. we also on Facebook. So continuing with our chat on the relevance of social and political activism in Africa, we're joined on the line now by Martha Shumba, who is the chairperson of the Organization of African Youth. Let's welcome you, Martha. Hello, how are you? I'm fine, thanks. And how are you? I'm great, I'm great. So let me start with you then after the break and uh, continuing with our chat. When it comes to uh, social and political activism, especially in the African continent, does it matter in terms of how much influence uh, a, a movement is going to have and in terms of who drives any social or political activism? For example, if, if young people are driving it or if political stalwarts are driving it or if religious leaders are, are driving it, uh, what are the chances of it uh, you know, being more influential? Does it matter who, who's behind the, the movement? It doesn't really matter who's behind it. Uh, what matters is the impact that's going to come out of that. Uh, because um, it also de- um, differs in um, in which area. If it is political, I think young people should be involved in, dec- in decision making. Yeah, your view, David. I think it's <clears throat> it's supposed to be a collective effort. Uh, mm. So you know, you have a political movement or a dra- seeking to drive political change, and the focus on uh, the focus excludes youth. Uh, which is a huge challenge. Uh, you have, 
youth in South Africa, you know, engaged in the Feast Must Fall movement. And if you have um, support from different sectors and support from different arms of civil society, that gives uh, the movement the clout that it needs. So these movements cannot really, they can be, um, they can focus on specific thematic areas based on uh, the issues at that time. So for yeah. example, youth engaging in youth issues, but they are cross-cutting and for these movements to be successful, there must be um, solidarity from across the board. So because these issues affect citizens generally, mm. if you have, you know, um, movements focusing on, 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 on faith issues coming together in support of those fo focusing on environmental rights, that you know, gives the movement a greater chance of um, achieving the change that it seeks. And that's that's another challenge within these movements and within civil society mm. in terms of the fact that sometimes because you're working on um, land rights, environmental rights, climate change issues, and I'm working on uh, the rights of children, I don't see your issue as important to me. But mm. what we're saying as civil society is for these movements to coalesce uh, join forces and effect the change. And that has happened. The changes that we've seen in other countries have happened because everybody came together, formal civil society groups, uh, social movements, individual activists, which we always forget, bloggers coming together to speak with one voice. And if you give me a, f a couple of minutes, maybe I'll go back to the issue of social movements versus formal civil society groups. Mm -hmm. You know, some of, in most countries, social movements have arisen because of the restrictions placed on formal civil society organizations. Mm. So, for example, over the last 10 days in Uganda, the government, uh, through security forces, has attacked uh, about four formal civil society organizations, including Action Aid. So, for example, they know this is the head of the organization, this is where they are based, this is their location, and they use brute force mm. to suppress okay. them. And these organizations have been attacked because I think they engaged in a debate where they, they, they spoke against uh, the, the the decision to increase uh, the presidential um, the year, the, 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 the age of the president in Uganda. So those kinds of attacks target organizations that are formalized and that have a definite structure. In Cameroon, early this year, the civil society, uh, the, Ang the Cameroon Anglophone Civil Society movement was yeah. banned because it's a formal structure. Now, what role do social movements play? Because some of these movements are loose. Look at Lucha in, in the DRC. Um, that has arisen because you can't say this is the leader. You arrest 10 of them, 15 of them spring up in other areas because it's a loose movement mm -hmm. uh, led by youth that are passionate not just about one specific issue, uh, but see the challenges that they face, be it economic, social, or political, as challenges that affect all citizens. So they are loose, and so governments can't really target one, mm -hmm. and that leads to the the demise of the organization as they do with formal civil society structures. So it's a matter of all of these players.
seeing themselves as key actors and agents of change and coming together whether an issue affects what they focus on on a day-to-day basis or not. Let's focus on that uh, example of Cameroon. Um, Christopher, if you can come into that. In terms of, you know, the, the disconnect that you did mention earlier and what David is talking about, how, you know, the, the general members of the public needing to coming together and being able to relate to each other's problems. In the case of Cameroon, uh, where we know, you know, but the majority of Cameroonians speak uh, French. Eight out of ten regions are, are francophone regions. But now we're finding there's a bit of a difference uh, and a, a battle between the anglophone and the francophone uh, regions when it comes to the, the medium of education in schools being, being French. And the anglophones are saying, no, we can't do that. And the francophones are saying, but we are the majority. Why can't we educate uh, our children in, in French and for, for everyone? So you definitely see the disconnect there. You definitely see that the one group is not able to identify with the struggles of the other. How do we then um, tackle that disconnect and make sure that we're all on the same page? Look, looking yeah. at Cameroon. Yeah, that's a very deep question, uh, Sander. But let me try and answer that briefly or at least contribute to it. Mm-hmm. So one of the difficulties of our post-colonial uh, society is uh, this question of identity which uh, the colonial legacy has left with us. So we we find that this has become quite a deep and divisive uh, issue. So obviously one has got to understand that colonialism uh, after the 1850s made a specific attempt in Africa and across the world to divide people according to ethnicity and race. And so they entrenched these in bureaucracies, in, in in homelands, in the way that people were were divided and so forth, and and this has become entrenched post post independence. Mm. Um, people have uh, gone to these ethnic identities as a means of gaining uh, relevance of of, of 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 reclaiming their humanity in a sense, right? Because colonialism has left a deep legacy uh, in which people were dehumanized and, 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 and you know, we were left on the sidelines of history. So so part of part of this question of identity is about reclaiming a sense of self and and, and reclaiming the lost uh, legacies of that we lost during colonialism. And it is a difficult question. We find this on, on every part of of the continent, there are these different struggles between uh, ethnicity, language, uh, race, and so forth. Mm. So, how does one overcome that? I think part of the answer is certainly um, is certainly to start thinking uh, beyond uh, narrow identities. But it's not as easy as just saying it. Right? Mm. So, there is a there is a deep um, a deep sense that our state has got to play a much more uh, important role in breaking down these, these, these kind of immediate and, and raw instinctive grasp at identity as being the place that people go to when they are feeling marginalized. Now we, you know, so in, in Cameroon, obviously, there's a, there's a particular history of, you know, the English, the Franco, the the uh, Anglophone part being part mm. of uh, uh, Nigeria and then incorporated into Cameroon, so there's a long history there. Mm. And uh, part of part of the solution, I suppose, is a bit of both. It's a bit of recognizing that people are different and creating the structures for self-governance and 
at the same time not entrenching those differences to such an extent that uh, we have this, this what I would call narrow nationalisms which which kind of uh, divide us yeah um, and so, so I think it's a very delicate a delicate question because on the one hand I don't want to condemn people who want who are being marginalized and who want um, a, a self-governance they want a democracy that works for them that applies to them that is relevant to them but at the same time we mustn't be so narrow in our in our uh, quest for self-governance that we exclude other people yeah. and that it becomes a narrow nationalism that uh, you know is a it, it's a kind of mimicking the colonial history in which they try to divide us. So as, 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 as African citizens, we're going to have to find ways to overcome uh, this question of identities and to start thinking of ourselves as pan-Africanists, you know, as Africans rather than as, uh, you know, these ethnic and uh, yeah. cultural uh, individuals that are disconnected from everybody else. In South yeah. Africa, we have that same problem with, yeah. you know, when the xenophobia attacks happened. And that's because yeah. we're not seeing ourselves as African citizens. We that unity need, needs yes. to, to come yes. back. Let me bring Martha in because we are running out of time. Do yes. activists, uh, Martha, need protection? And if they need protection, in what form can this protection be provided? Yes, uh, sometimes you, you do need protection, uh, but it depends in areas. Uh, there are some countries here in Africa where um, you can't just go around uh, standing up for certain individuals. For example, uh, there are countries where you can't stand up for homosexual people because it's not allowed. Mm. And it becomes a very, very uh, life-threatening. You can't, you can't, your voice cannot reach where, where it's supposed to be reached because they, they are certain laws and... and so and how can activists be protected? How, what kind of protection can they receive in, in, in such examples? Um, I think um, in such scenarios you should you should have uh, human rights lawyers. I think there are a lot of them around. You should register with one or always have them on standby. Let's touch uh, on your campaign called uh, Speak, uh, David, just briefly. We are out of time. Maybe in 10 seconds. So it's a it's a it's a it's a movement. It's a platform created uh, to provide um, um, an opportunity for those who have been marginalized, those who have not been able to speak up to express themselves mm-hmm. about the challenges that they face, based on all the issues we've been discussing. And how do people get in into speak and and speak? Uh, so we have a website. Um, if you go to www.civicus.org, there's the Speak platform there. Uh, okay. We had two, um, four days of, of, of action by citizens across the world, but it's an ongoing campaign, and we are going to you know, kick it off again um, at the start of next year. Okay, so www.civicus, C-I-V-I-C-U-S. Dot org. Dot org yeah, and click on the speak campaign. All right. And we are out of time. Thank you so much to, to all of you, David Kode, uh, Christopher Rutledge, and Martha Shumba. All right. Thank you so much, Ayanda. Remember, African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. And you can interact with us on Twitter at Channel Africa. You can find us on Facebook. Also, SMS your views to plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. Well, from me, Asanda Matsawinyane, it's a goodbye. Benjamin is back uh, with you tomorrow. Stay with Africa, Channel Africa.
the dry fields of my homeland Coming into Jordan The suntan swimming pools and the sowing to shucks Airports and railway stations Stranded with a rockback and guitar The languages and the places change And the sky has different stars I may be walking in the streets Of a city called London But the dust on my boots And the rhythm of my feet And my heart say Africa I may be walking in the streets Of a city called Amsterdam But the dust on my boots And the rhythm of my feet And my heart Say Africa 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 And the UN loan and the passport controls For countries that don't exist It's a big world, they have their own problems everywhere And there's gold in that clenched fist People ask me where I'm from I say, Mami, Lord, township In a city called Tswane Meaning we are the same I have a friend who's a great musician and is from Ebai Near King Williamstown, you know where Steve Biko was born You might have heard or seen a film about Africa You know it's a big continent with the great gift of Ubuntu I may be walking in the streets of a city called London But the dust on my boots and the rhythm of my feet and my heart Africa. I may be walking in the streets of a city called Amsterdam, but the dust on my boots and the rhythm of my